Welcome to another Copa America edition of the Planet Football Podcast. I am SI.com soccer editor, Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Brian Strauss, both in Houston, where the U.S. men's national team will be taking on Argentina in the Copa America semifinals. Gentlemen, I want to welcome you in and uh, pretty impressive showing by the U.S. to get to this point, Grant, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, when Jurgen Klinsmann said before the tournament the goal was to make the semifinals, I think uh, a fair number of people might have said, huh, I don't think that'll happen. Uh, And here we are. The U.S. won the group in the end and then uh, I think deserved to beat Ecuador. And uh, now they are going to face the number one team in the world, Argentina. That, uh, that is the task ahead of them. They have been in a similar position before, I guess you could say, in 09 in the Confederations Cup semifinal against world number one Spain. Uh, so some parallels to be drawn potentially. But Brian, um, Messi, how are they going to stop this guy? I mean, this is, and it's not just Messi, obviously. Argentina's stacked, but but Messi is the star, of, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it, you know, it's a leading question. I don't know that you stop him, right? I mean, you, you know what, Michael Bradley, we... I asked him about that, or someone asked him about that yesterday. I can't remember who it was. Even Doug McIntyre from ESPN. Anyway, um, but Michael said that, you know, there are moments in a game where you can get him going sideways. There are moments in a game where you can get him on his right foot. Um, but, but more than that, he just talked about making the game hard, you know, making the game difficult and grueling for him. And, and he said there are examples. He said there are many examples where you can go back and watch games that either Argentina or Barcelona played and where things just are made tougher for Messi. And I don't think, I mean, he didn't name any examples, but we don't have to go much further back than uh, the Barcelona Atletico uh, Champions League uh, series. So, um, you know, that, that was, a, that was a, a game where Atletico was, was aggressive, uh, where their shape was outstanding, uh, where, where, where lanes were clogged. And, uh, you know, when Messi can't get vertical, uh, you know, yeah, he can withdraw and hit passes like he did the other night in Higuain, but, uh, you know, you're not necessarily going to stop the guy. Um, look, I mean, this is going to be, uh, and, and then you've got, you know, if, if you do quote-unquote stop Messi, uh, then you've got, you know, you know, Benega and, and Aguero and, and all kinds of other, you know, world-class attackers coming at you. So, um, look, I mean, this is a, this is a massive, massive uh, test and challenge for this team, and, and you don't look at stopping them. You look at trying to find a way to stay in the game uh, and hope you make a player team. It's definitely an opportunity, um, and you don't get to this opportunity without taking care of the steps beforehand, and the U.S. Has, has done that. They have not given up a goal in the run of play. Uh, they are going to be missing a, a bunch of key players, though. Jermaine Jones, Bobby Wood, Alejandro Bedoya, all suspended for this game. They do get DeAndre Yedlin back from suspension, so that will play into their favor. Um, but guys, you've you've both written about this and, and talked about this, and Grant, I'll start with you on this. What's what's the play here? How do they overcome these absences? I mean, they're they are not insignificant. Well, this is going to be a real test of the U.S.'s depth, and to this point, they haven't needed to test it. One of the great things about this tournament has been the consistency of the starting lineups. But that said, when you look at the history of successful U.S. tournaments. Uh, the depth has been a huge part of it. I go back to the 2002 World Cup, and Bruce Arena used, I think, 22 of the 23 players in that tournament um, you know, when they got to the quarterfinals. So specifically, Kyle Beckerman, I expect to come in for Jermaine Jones. Uh, I would think the most likely scenario involves um, Graham Zussi uh, coming in to start out wide for uh, Bedoya, uh, though it's, it's certainly possible that... Um, could see something different. I mean, I, I do expect Jossie Zardes will move up to the forward spot to take Wood's place next to Clint Dempsey. 
but I guess it's possible Chris Wondolowski could take that spot. You need someone to do what Wood has done during this tournament, not necessarily scoring a lot of goals, but stretching out the defense, uh, which has allowed Dempsey to do a lot of what he's done. So uh, I guess one big question is, what do you do with Fabian Johnson? Um, do you potentially move him up to a, a left midfield position where he plays for his club, keep Matt Beesler at left back, because he, he did all right uh, you know, in the last game against Ecuador at left back. So Klinsman has some options. He has depth. Uh, people are going to wonder about Darlington Nagby and Christian Pulisic. I just don't see those guys' experience levels with the national team maybe being enough for them to start in this game. Um, you know, Darlington Nagby has yet to start a game for the national team. Uh, Christian Pulisic has barely played for the national team. So I think those guys will have a role in this game. I just don't think it will be in the starting lineup. You can just imagine, though, if Pulisic came into the game, he'd have the world's best player and Messi on the field at the same time. That'd be, uh, that'd be pretty spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Brian, uh, of the three suspended guys uh, for the U.S., which one is the biggest loss, would you say? In this game, I, I think it's Jermaine Jones. I think, uh, you know, as, as Klinsman's been saying for years, and I, as I think a lot of us have come to realize, just having him marauding in midfield, having him stalking, having him covering ground, uh, which he's now been able to do so effectively uh, because Michael Bradley has sort of been, you know, moved back and really has a more defined role uh, in, in, in withdrawn center midfield. Look, I mean, he's got guys looking over their shoulder. Uh, you're, you know, you're, you're wondering, uh, you know, he's like the big round rock in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, you got to sort of look over your shoulder and see, uh, see where he is. Uh, he makes things happen. Um, now, obviously, he's a double-edged sword, and, and, and we saw that uh, whether or not he made contact uh, to the face at the end of the Ecuador game. I mean, that that there is a price to pay for that, that passion and that vigor and that energy that he brings. Uh, but when it's, when it's controlled, um, it's, it's, uh, it's very effective. And against a team uh, that's technical, that likes to move the ball, that likes to establish a rhythm, um, that, that can be pretty devastating. And so that's going uh, to be a loss, I think. I, I don't think, I think Kyle Beckerman's the right choice. And then I think Michael Bradley maybe has a bit more room to roam, but that's not the same as having Bradley and Jones in there sort of anchoring the middle. Um, I agree with Grant, certainly, that you do need someone uh, to, to, to do some of what Bobby Wood did. Um, I think the only player who can do that is Zardes. Um, so maybe we see Zardes push up top in place of Bobby Wood and play alongside Dempsey. Uh, but I also wonder if you're going to see something sort of like a 4-1-4-1, uh, where you have uh, Kyle Beckerman really anchored to the back four, and then four across the middle, uh, whether that's Johnson or not. You know, Zussi, obviously, Bradley. Uh, maybe Nagby, and then maybe Zardis on the wing, and then sort of Dempsey alone up top, uh, where we haven't seen him as effective, but where in this case, if you want to win the midfield battle and have, have five in there, maybe you make that slight sacrifice and you hope Dempsey's able to find the game. Grant, uh, Argentina, sure, they're the world number one, and yes, they've looked spectacular uh, at a lot of points in this tournament, but Venezuela um, carved a lot of chances out against them uh, in the quarterfinal, and they had this penalty kick at the end of the first half that could have totally changed that game. Uh, if it was not the worst penalty kick ever struck. And so I'm wondering, um, are we making too much of Argentina as an opponent? I think there's a tendency to do that. I mean, obviously Argentina is a fantastic team. Uh, they are the best team in this tournament. That does not mean the U.S. can't beat them uh, in this semifinal. And, you know, entering the tournament, the big question, and it was a legitimate one about Argentina, it was about the central defense. You know, we all saw Nicolas Otamendi 
and Ramiro Funes Mori play in the Premier League this year with Man City and Everton. And there's a reason that the fans of those teams don't like those guys. Uh, they're, they're not good Premier League defenders, so they haven't been at least. And so, uh, so far in this tournament, have they performed? Yeah, they, they've been pretty good, uh, surprisingly so. But uh, if the U.S. can test those guys, I, I think there are possibilities, uh, possibilities on the counter, on the break. Uh, you know, and a, a guy like Clint Dempsey, uh, I think, could do something very similar to what Solomon Rondon did when he scored the other night against Argentina, very similar to Dempsey's goal against Ecuador, where he split the center backs and had a really nice header uh, for a goal. So, uh, you know, I think that's possible for the U.S. I, I do think there are some similarities to, you know, if you, the 2009 uh, Confederations Cup semifinal against Spain, in the sense that a lot of people thought that Spain team was unbeatable. And uh, Bob Bradley put together a fantastic game plan. The U.S. actually possessed the ball about as much as Spain did, and they beat him. Uh, a Spain team that had its best guys. So. I, I asked Michael Bradley yesterday to sort of, if he, you know, he and Dempsey are the only guys on this team who played in that game. And uh, I asked Michael yesterday, you know, what, what, what reminds you of that game, uh, whether it's the buildup or the opponent or the, the structure of, the, of your own team, the momentum, anything. And he wouldn't bite. He just, uh, he, he didn't want to go back and, and talk about it. He just sort of said, yeah, you know, it's a semifinal. Uh, in, a, in a big tournament, and, and that's what it has in common. So he, he didn't want to go, go there uh, too much. But they did talk about, both he and Matt Beasley yesterday, talked about enjoying watching Venezuela try to get back in the game. And, and, and when it was still 2 nothing, and then they had the penalty, uh, they were watching really carefully about sort of the way uh, Venezuela sort of approached the deficit, the way they tried to claw back, you know, looking for some vulnerabilities in Argentina, looking for the way Argentina managed the lead. Uh, and that was something they both independently said that they they got something out of watching the other night. And of course, they weren't going to give details. Uh, you know, not not going to give away the state secrets. But uh, they were both looking for that, and both felt they got something out of it. That's pretty interesting. Uh, a couple intangibles. I mean, Argentina's got two fewer days of rest than the U.S., um, and that matters in a tournament like this, especially one that's played in in some pretty um, you know hot climates and. You know, these teams get stretched, uh, you know, pretty thin over the course of, of a week or two. Um, so that plays into the U.S.'s favor. Um, I think we're going to learn a lot about Jurgen Klinsmann, the game manager um, in, in this game. Um, you know, he has, you know, look, deserves a ton of credit for getting the U.S. to this point in this competition. We, um, we criticize him, um, you know, and have over the last couple of years. But at the same time, I think it's time to, to give him his due for what he's done here. But this is, this is his biggest test, I think. Uh, as the U.S. manager, um, you know, aside from the World Cup, um, but even even then, you know, Germany in that game and in the the last game of the group stage, uh, the Germany had it. You know, they had their fate wrapped up already. It was, it was you know different stakes. This is a semifinal of of a big tournament against the world's number one team, um, and and how he approaches it and and gets the U.S. through this game uh, is is going to say a lot. I think. Not only is it a thousand degrees here. Um, and, and training here, even for a few minutes, is going to take some, some significant time off your lifespan. But yesterday at Houston Sports Park, which is south of the city, and that's the Dynamos training facility, uh, Klinsman was wearing a black long sleeve, like, track jacket. Like, like we're, we're, we're just sweating profusely just standing there. <laughs> and this guy is wearing, and, and I couldn't help it, like, toward the end of the interview. And I'm like, dude, what are you, why are you wearing that? 
<laughs> and, like, what are you doing? And he looked at me and said, and, and, you know, we wrote a column on this, so maybe he read it. I don't know. But he said, I have to suffer. So that's, uh, he's like, a maniac. He's like I mean, a high school, re- he's like a high school was, wrestler. <laughs> the black long sleeve, like thick, you know, it was, you know, the, the black Nike thing, you know, with the blue and red that the U.S. is wearing now. And, and he was wearing that and it was, uh, it was Venus outside. So he's a madman and he's ready for this game. They are, they are all in. All bought in, um, which is one thing that I've noticed, though, over the course of these last two games, especially. Uh, I think you're seeing, and Grant, you heard about this too, identity-wise, you're seeing a team that's that's fighting for each other like U.S. teams of the past, um, and and we hadn't seen that for a little bit. So that's that's something that has come back to light in this tournament. Um, I want to talk about uh, a couple of the other teams in this tournament, namely Chile and Mexico, because that was a... Um, insert your adjective here that we probably can't say on the air. It was, it was insane. Seven to nothing. Um, I think all of us, I think picked Mexico to make the final. I picked Mexico to win the whole thing. I would like that bracket back right now. Um, Grant, uh, what, what were you thinking watching this absolute destruction of Mexico? Well, it was a different thought in the first half than it was in the second half. In the first half, I was just amazed at the constant Chilean pressure, which you're not surprised to see it. That's how Chile plays. But the fact that it was having so much of an impact on the way Mexico played. And, uh, you know, Chile is a team that has had a couple of good games in this tournament, but didn't, hadn't played to that level before in this tournament. And they just destroyed Mexico in every facet of the game. And then the Mexican mentality just crumbled early in the second half. The third goal was what did it, and basically Mexico quit, uh, which, you know, you could see it happening. And, and I remember tweeting, like, you might as well go for 7-1 at this point because this Mexico team had a very similar look to it, just a deer-in-the-headlights look in the players that Brazil had in that 7-1 game in the last World Cup. And sure enough, they got to 7, Mexico didn't even get the one. But... Uh, just uh, a thorough capitulation by Mexico that um, it's pretty rare to see a team just completely roll over, but that's what happened, and Chile kept its foot on the gas the whole time. I mean, Vargas came away with four goals. Uh, Vidal was fantastic, even though he's now suspended for the semifinal. Um, Every Chilean player, you know, to play that way, to play that pressure style, every single player has to do it and do it well and and they did that night it was incredible yeah you would have thought that they were seeding the semifinals based on goal differential the way that chile just would not stop uh you know for nothing the game was in hand three nothing it was in hand and it was it was just one wave of pressure after the other and mexico like you said just just gave up the the will to fight um and it was pretty stunning and now of course everyone's asking juan Cor- Juan Carlos Osorio, who had been unbeaten as a manager with Mexico. They'd only given up, I believe, two goals entering that game uh, under his watch. And Brian, this is this is what happens with, with the Mexican Federation and the Mexican national team, right? One huge loss, one bad loss on a big stage, and everyone's wondering about the manager. Is this is this deja vu? Does, does he deserve to go after this one game? Uh, I, you know, it's hard to know. I guess they're going to have to do some, uh, 
some hard looks internally. And, you know, when, when Grant talks about Mexico quitting, I mean, if you get beat bad, if you have a terrible night, if the game plan doesn't work, that kind of stuff happens. If a team quits, the team quits on its manager, if the team quits on, on the stage, uh, then that's something else entirely. But look, we've seen, we've seen Mexico has always been talented, but we've seen time and again in different ways their, their metal, and I mean, you know, M-E-T-T-L-E, sort of failed them uh, at, at, at key moments uh, in knockout stage games and World Cups, Copa's America, things like that. So, um, you know, their, their inability to sort of maintain composure and focus, this is not new for them. And so Osorio is not the first guy uh, to lose his to, to lose an L tree team in a knockout stage game. Uh, the difference for me between this and and seven one uh, two years ago was that you know Germany did most of their damage. It was 20, 20 minutes, right? Twenty five minutes in that first half where they just tore Brazil apart, and, and the second half was just sort of like you know e- easing their way uh, you know into elimination. This was ninety minutes. You know, this was a full 90 minutes of, of relentless pressure. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was it was it was almost in a way more of a beat down than that was. Um, so, um, yeah, no, stunning result. And, and uh, I was at uh, I was at uh, the Houston Dynamo DC United game uh, after I got into Houston. I went over there to check it out. Um, and I was actually watching uh, most of the Mexico second half, the Mexico Chile game uh, with the Univision crew. Uh, Marcelo Balboa and company, and we were eating uh, Reese's Pieces Oreos um, and watching Chile score goal over goal. So that's after goals. That's not something I'll forget anytime soon. So that was cool. I would also say about Osorio that you have to remember, he has no built-up loyalty from any of the fans in Mexico because he never coached for any length of time at a club there. He was only at Puebla for a very short time, didn't do well, got canned, and... So, you know, like you compare that to the Brazil situation where the Corinthians manager, Chicha, is coming in, uh, you know, to take over the Brazil national team. And because Corinthians is such a big team down there and he's done so well there, he has that built up loyalty from so many of the fans. And you always knew with Osorio in Mexico that if he ever did have a bad game, you know, you think he would have a bad game like this, but that he would be potentially in trouble. So, uh, I'm very curious to see what happens here. You know, that said, if he does get fired, it's an admission of a mistake by his boss, Stacey De Maria, who hired him in the first place, and by the way, is not having to pay him a heck of a lot of money. Uh, you look at the other games where Osorio's coach for Mexico, and you came away with a pretty good feeling uh, about him and his work, but the whole tactical changes that he would make, you know, using all three goalkeepers in the group stage. Um, just the, the sheer number of changes from game to game to game, um, you know, if you're going to have a game happen like 7 nothing, then your job's going to be in danger. It's kind of scary how talented Chile is, too, because you, you look at a lot of the clubs where these guys play, and obviously, you know, you've got, um, you know, Vidal and, and, and Alexis, but, you know, Bayer Leverkusen, Hoffenheim, Celta, Nicaxa, you know, these guys, uh, you know, a majority of this team is not playing. Uh, you know, for, for, for Madrid and Man City and, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, you know, they're just churning talent out right now. It's, uh, you know, countries like this seem to sort of ebb and flow. And right now, when, you know, when you look at their, their quarterfinal, their, what, what, what very well could have been a quarterfinal run uh, in the World Cup, they lost to Brazil on penalties. Uh, they win the Copa America. Uh, you know, they have a rough opening game against Argentina at this tournament. But, hey, the U.S. lost their opening game, too. 
um, and, and what they did to Mexico last night, which is almost unprecedented. I mean, this is, this is a team that, that right now needs to be regarded uh, as one of, the, one of the best in the world, even if their players, uh, for the most part, perhaps other than Vidal, aren't household names. Yeah, um, Alexis Sanchez, of course, um, was 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 very good against Mexico. Eduardo Vargas, four goals in that game. He tied for the golden boot lead in the tournament in that game. Uh, he's got six, so he does lead that race right now. And and we'll see what Messi does to to match that. And Clint Dempsey as well. He's in the mix uh, too. Um, one last thing on Osorio, he was he held himself accountable um, at the end of the game, which um, refreshing. You don't always see that from managers in the international stage. Just put it all on his shoulders. Um, and, and look, when you look at the big picture in Mexico, they're already through to the hex. Um, you know, they're, they're going to defend their gold medal at the Olympics this summer. Uh, they're at the Confederations Cup, as, as Gonzalo Pineda uh, very, very strongly pointed out after U.S. soccer decided to troll Mexico on Twitter right after that game. Um, so in the big picture, I think Mexico is fine. It just you know, it depends on how, how much stock they're putting on this one embarrassment on a pretty big stage. And so we'll see how much that impacts Osorio's future. With the team, um, before we get out of here, Grant, I just want a, a quick thought from you on on Colombia Chile, uh, the other semifinal. Um, you know, Colombia's you know needed penalties to get by Peru, um, and and they did. David Espina has been fantastic in this tournament. Uh, with Vidal out, do you see this being Colombia's game with with a potential emotional letdown from Chile, or is Chile just on a roll? Well, I think that might be the equalizer is not having Vidal available for Chile. He's such an important player to what they do. And so if he was there, I would think Chile would be a pretty significant favorite for this semifinal against the Colombia team that is certainly capable of playing electric soccer, but didn't do a heck of a lot of that in the quarterfinal against Peru. So uh, even at this point, I would probably lean a shade toward Chile. Uh, but clearly, either, both teams have, have a good chance to win this. Um, I feel like it's a good thing that these four teams have made the semifinals. These are the four teams that deserve to be here, and I'm pretty excited for these games. Yeah, I think I think we are left with a a final four that is going to dazzle, going to entertain, um, and and ultimately that's that's what we're hoping for, right? No matter who's in it. So uh, a lot of permutations. We're gonna get a good final no matter what. Um, if it's Argentina Chile again, you get the holy moly game <laughs> that uh, that that Klinsman so eloquently uh, described. Uh, then the USA Columbia rematches in play as well. Um, so a lot of possibilities. Uh, very excited to see what happens Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. And of course, we've got the final in New Jersey uh, this coming weekend. So with that, I want to bid you guys farewell. Enjoy the game in Houston, and we look forward to seeing what you write for Planet Football. Um, until next time, I am Avi Creditor for our producer Alex Abnos, Grant Wall, and Brian Strauss. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.